Vibe Talks. Vibe Talks. More than just music. Hey everybody, this is Giancarlo Alino reporting for Vibe 105 with a sports Vibe Talk segment where we're going to be talking about all things professional wrestling. To help me out, I'm happy to be joined by my guest. He is a co-host on Sportsnet's Aftermath program. He was a former WWE referee, Jimmy Corderas. Welcome back to Vibe 105, Jimmy. Oh, thanks for having me back. It's been a while, so I kind of, I miss you guys. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, with this uh, whole COVID pandemic, like how you doing? How's your family holding up during this time? Uh, we're doing, we're, we're following the guidelines. We're doing our best. You know, we're trying to stay active, which is the hardest part, you know, cause, uh, you know, we're kind of staying in our neighborhood, doing our walks and that kind of stuff, but, uh, not being able to interact with friends and family is kind of difficult, but, uh, thank goodness for modern technology, which I'm still learning. Uh, at least we can keep in touch that way and, and, and make sure that everybody's okay. Yeah, also, like, uh, this has also changed the way a lot of sports programs have been uh, doing their business and leagues and so forth. How has this impacted your show on sports now? Uh, well, now we, we obviously we're not going in studio to do our show. We're doing it. Uh, everybody's doing it from their own home, kind of like what we're doing right now. So again, speaking of modern technology, it has allowed us to continue our show. It's more of an online presence now as opposed to being on, on Sportsnet 360. So, you know, the Sportsnet uh, YouTube channel, we're live on Fridays. We do segments throughout the week, like stuff I like to do, like win and fail and, and whatever is topical and pick somebody's brain. Like Anthony's got some great stories and Nug. Nugs uh, take Every, everybody's got a different point of view watching the watching wrestling from a different set of eyes and, and it's nice to get all these different perspectives and, it, and it's cool that we're continuing to do it yeah and wwe and also all elite wrestling they were really the first ones to kick this off with this whole new norm with no fans in attendance uh the ufc followed suit they kind of did something similar to what wwe was doing so how do you think two months in they've adapted to this new norm of having no spectators I think they're doing okay. One of the most difficult things about doing professional wrestling is you're, you're looking for that automatic feedback from your audience because they're the ones that are telling you, okay, this is working, this isn't working. This, this, you know, they're reacting to this. And then uh, when you don't hear a reaction, now you know that they're not invested. And without a crowd there to feed off of, it's hard to tell. And I like the idea, AEW did it first where they put some, some other talent in the where the audience would be spaced out to make some noise and some noise is better than no noise. Yeah. So it added to their presentation. I'm glad to see that WWE, it took a while, but they finally adapted that process, added the plexiglass, which kind of gives it that hockey feel. And I know people are saying, Oh, why did they put the plexiglass? I don't mind it. I think it's different. It's cool. Everybody has their own presentation. It's cool. But adding that noise definitely adds an element to the presentation. You got that background noise instead of silence. Well, it's not silence because you hear all the grunting and groaning in the ring and people thinking they're bumps. But, you know, almost like a fan thing. The only drawback to that is you're, again, I I don't want to look for a negative and a positive thing. But at the same time, you're not getting honest feedback, if that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas if you got your live audience there, they're giving you their honest reaction back. Um, regardless of whether it's AEW with their talent in the audience or whether it's uh, Raw SmackDown with some of the NXT guys, it's all, it almost feels like a programmed response. They want to respond to, to make noise as opposed to reacting to what's going on, if that, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, so it's like, because uh, I saw Raw, I like the way they did that, though, with the plexiglass around, and it kind of adds a different element to their presentation 
now going forward with especially pro wrestling like you were talking about you need that immediate feedback so how does a creative team get a better gauge of what's getting over with the fan base like what's working what they should stop doing like how is uh how does that difficult for the creative team yeah this, see this is where it gets challenging now because like we said you know you 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 go off that initial feedback you know that initial reaction because the initial reaction is the honest one yeah. Now, I, I guess they're going to have to tend to go more towards social media and see what the responses are there towards whatever angles taking place on television and stuff like that. The problem with that, I find, is once you give someone a little bit of time to, to sit back and think about things, and then they go online and read other people's opinions, oh, yeah. they tend to form... They, I, not everybody, but some people tend to form their opinions based on what others think as opposed to just saying, hey, this is what I liked. And like, like for example, I'll go back to last Friday night's uh, SmackDown with the Jeff Hardy angle and so forth. For me, that, that subject and storyline, I prefer not to see. That's my own personal opinion. Am I offended by it? No. But at the same time, it's just not to my taste. So uh, others may view it differently. It's all about based on individual preferences. And unfortunately, I think a lot of time fans today are influenced by others that they deem to be experts and yeah. form their opinion based on that as opposed to, hey, I just saw this. I like that. That worked for me. That didn't work for me, you know? Yeah, and also uh, another thing I noticed with WWE and All Elite Wrestling is the cinematic type of matchup. Like we saw the Stadium Stampede at Double or Nothing, uh, WrestleMania and Money in the Bank had a cinematic type of feel, the Boneyard, the Money in the Bank match, uh, Bray Wyatt's Firefly Funhouse. I didn't expect to see that, but uh, do you think that could be also a new norm? Like especially when fans come in, do you think fans in the arena would sit there and actually be entertained if they watch something on screen like that? Uh, it's difficult. I don't think that's something once, once it gets back to somewhat normal, because it's going to take a while to get there, having an audience there live watching it on the screen is not the same thing. So, uh, yeah. Do I think it'll continue to some degree, as long as it's not overdone. I, I, I like that. It's if they really space it out and make it special and make these cinematic type matches as you, as we're calling them now, kind of these mini movies, yeah. As long as they space them out and make them feel special, cool. But if they happen at every pay-per-view, if they happen at, you know, uh, throughout the year, several times throughout the year, then it loses that special feeling. Uh, the reason it's working now is because there is no audience there. So you, this has opened up a, a creative opportunity for both comp all companies to try different things and see what works. And this is the bad use of uh, the term. When you have the luxury of not having an audience there, you can experiment with this type of match, if that makes sense. With an audience there, I think it loses some of that. You know, I don't, I don't want to buy a ticket to go to, to an event to watch something on the screen. Yeah. That's, that, you know, that's why I pay for the pay-per-view on television. You know what I mean? It's, it's two different things. For those just joining us on Vibe 105, this is Giancarlo Alino with a Sports Vibe Talk segment being joined by Jimmy Corderas of Sportsnet's Aftermath. Uh, Jimmy, like you are just talking about there, like the experience and uh, 
some fans now, when they're watching either WWE or AEW, they're noticing that there's some celebrities being involved, some pro athletes transitioning into pro wrestling. We saw Gronk win a title at WrestleMania. Uh, Mike Tyson is coming back into wrestling, it looks like, against Chris Jericho. So what are your thoughts on pro athletes stepping into pro wrestling? And do you think it translates well when they're not really, I guess they don't have that type of training uh, to take bumps and all that and work a crowd the way that wrestler does? Uh, it's, it's like six of one, half a dozen of the other. You take, you you mentioned Gronk. Gronk is a great personality. He's over the top. He's a lot of fun. He fits right in with sports entertainment. If you know what I mean? Then you get someone like a Mike Tyson who has that name recognition throughout the world. And I think there's an opportunity there for AEW to attract an audience outside of that diehard base that they have right now that they can't seem to expand beyond. You know what I mean? So uh, if used correctly, uh, having Mike Tyson there is a good thing. I think trying to recreate a moment that happened several years ago may not be the the ideal situation for him, but incorporating him into a story where you can best benefit, having someone like a Mike Tyson, having that name recognition, definitely I'm all for it. I mean, uh, throughout the years, we've seen, like, even at WrestleMania 1, you go back to WrestleMania 1, and you have, you know, Muhammad Ali as a special guest referee in the ring. Uh, Mind you, he wasn't in the ring. It was actually Pat Patterson, but he was there kind of overseeing things. You know, you have Liberace out there doing his can-can Um, crossover celebrities are always a benefit to pro wrestling because it brings a different set of eyes. Now, the challenge afterwards is those new set of eyes that you bring on the product trying to keep them when that celebrity is no longer there. That is the challenge. So do you think, I guess, AEW, they've had some sort of, uh, I guess, a honeymoon period, let's say, with their first year on TV. So fans, of course, it's something new. They're seeing this product. They're not really looking at the negatives too much, but there's obviously some flaws, just like any other company. What would you say best describes AEW in terms of their product one year in? Like, how would you grade uh, what they've been able to do so far? I know, I know. There's this uh, misconception on on anti-social media, as I like to call it, <laughs> that I I have it in for AEW, and I couldn't be further from the truth. I I have friends that work there. I want them to succeed. I want the business as a whole to succeed, and that includes AEW. My only issue with them is I think. Um, from a company that came out of the gate saying, we're going to bring back pro wrestling. That was their, it's going to be a more sports, a more sports like feel to the presentation and wins and losses are going to matter. We're, we're going to have a ranking system other than the ranking system. They, they haven't done what they actually probably, I think they have gone way over the top. I get that the business evolves. Um, I, I always compare, I like to make these little comparisons, like, like the evolution of the tire. Like when it first, you know, when it first was invented, it was made of stone. We had a stone tire. Then it was wood. Then we became rubber. Then we became vulcanized rubber. Then we improved it, run flat tires. But at the end of the day, the tire is round. So you can't, although you can evolve the business, you can't stray away too far from the basic that, this is what the business is based on. And I think so, at times they go over the top with some of the, uh, the sp- high spots. I think they, I think some of the 
psychology in some of the matches. Um, I don't want to say it's lacking. It just uh, a match should connect the dots from beginning to end. And a lot of times they don't see those dots being connected. I think that's one of their flaws is they're trying to uh, they're trying to be a fireworks display show. Hey, look over here, see what we got. And they're at times a show has to do this. If you can see my hand going up and down, yeah. there has to be ebbs and ebbs and flows. You have to, you know, uh, I think they're trying too hard to appease a certain core audience. And I think that's, what's hurting them right now is they're, they're trying to appease an audience, this audience. And there's a whole audience out here that they could, they can do a little bit of everything, if that makes sense. You don't you don't need to be just one style. I don't know if I explained myself well there, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you did. And yeah. also, like, uh, just on top of that, like, they do have that thing where they were talking about creative freedom for the wrestlers, and some of the wrestlers that go in, uh, like, hearing in the past, like, I've seen stories on about WCW, and you're in the business around that time that everybody had creative freedom over there, and it kind of mm -hmm. led to their downfall a bit. Uh, recently, for some fans that might know TNA Impact, uh, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling, some of their guys had some creative freedom, and it didn't end too well for them either. So do you think having creative freedom with so many guys can have a trickle-down effect where you can't make everyone happy and it's just going to lead to your product going the negative direction? Uh, that's, that's, that's one of the major concerns I have for AEW. And yes, I, I understand that the guys should be allowed a certain amount of creativity, but there has to be that one voice that says, Hey, you know what? I see where you're coming from. Maybe we could tweak it this way. Instead of saying, Hey, go out there and do it. If you're letting everybody go out and do what they feel like they're doing without any direction, without any, without some guidance. I mean, you look at some of the minds they got down. They got Dustin Rhodes. They got Arn Anderson. You've got Jake Roberts, uh, Tully Blanchard. You got some of the, smartest minds in the business down there as producers as agents pick their brains it, it you know don't look at them and go ah that's old school that doesn't work anymore you know what maybe combine what he's doing with what you're thinking and you guys can work together and come up with something that is very appealing uh, uh, there just needs to be that voice of reason that could kind of uh rein in a little bit uh, some of the over-the-top thoughts that's just my take i, I think sometimes that uh, you, you know, everybody brings up WWE and creative freedom there. At the end of the day, every, the buck stops at Vince McMahon. So, so he's the boss. So you know that. But Vince is very open to suggestions. He may not agree with your suggestion, and that's his prerogative, right? But it's not that, you know, that you, you'll have a meeting with him and say, hey, I, I envision this. What do you think? Vince will say, I like it. Let's try something with that. Or, nope, don't like it. Think of something else. I think so, my only issue with AEW is I think a lot of guys are just, yeah, go out and do it. Yeah. <laughs> do, do, do what you feel like. And uh, it's the inmates running the asylum. And that's what, like you said, was the downfall of WCW back in the day. Once again, for those who are joining us on Vibe 105, this is Giancarlo Alino with a Sports Vibe Talk segment. We're being joined by Sportsnet's Jimmy Corderas. Uh, Jimmy, like you, on top of that point, WWE, on the other hand, their network, uh, they produce so many great original content, and one of it has been The Undertaker, The Last Ride, wow. and similar to The Last Dance. They really got to see a behind-the-scenes on his character, his preparation, what someone at his age in this career has done. Uh, now, looking back at Undertaker's career, you were involved. You were there like for a majority of it. Uh, what is Undertaker like backstage? Because you hear stories about him being like the locker room leader, 
uh, being like the head guy. Like, what's Undertaker like backstage? He's 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 awesome, and I'm not just saying that trying to chase the hug from the Undertaker or anything. Uh, I, it was it was truly an honor to be in the locker room with him. And when you talk about locker room leaders, it wasn't that he said, "Hey, I'm the locker room leader. I'm the guy." He was chosen by everybody else. Everybody else pointed to him and said, "You know what? If anybody's going to lead this locker room, it's that guy." And and you know, he was wide open. You wanted some advice, hey. Uh, hey, uh, take. Can you watch my match tonight and give me some advice? All open for it. You know what I mean. And and even even when guys would do something that wasn't uh, you know good, let's just say he wasn't a guy who would come out and say, "Hey, what the hell were you thinking out there?" Well, you know what I mean. He's all. He would all. Hey, come here. Let's go have a talk. Uh, you know what? And he would calmly talk to people. He would you know discuss situations if there was. Uh, anything going on in a match that he thought could be improved on, he he would tell you. He was so hands-on, and he was he was cool. But one thing that I've learned from this documentary is uh, that's been, which I'm finding is amazing, because um, people are getting to see the real Mark Calloway now, and uh, pretty much the last holdout of kayfabe, so to speak. <laughs> you know what I mean? One guy, one of the most protected characters in all of wrestling history pro wrestling history and now we're getting to see him drop his guard a little bit and we're getting to see that human side and that's what i'm loving the most about this is people are getting to see the guy we got to see and even a little bit glimpses that he didn't let us see except for some of his closest friends you know what i mean so so even even guys who have been in the locker room with him for years are going wow you know i never knew that and that's the coolest part about this whole thing yeah, I a lot of people are comparing it, and rightfully so. Like, Undertaker, it kind of uh, caught people by surprise, like you were saying. Like, similar to Michael Jordan, it caught people by surprise when they hear some of the stories he had to tell. So, uh, looking at Undertaker's career, in his 50s, like, he was in his prime, probably up until 50 years old, at the peak of his career. In wrestling, at 35, like, some guys just hit their stride. In other sports, you're over the hill at 35. So, what is it about pro wrestling where... A guy can be 35, reinvent his career, add another 10 years to it, and uh, still be able to perform at that high-impact combat level. It's it, Yeah, pro wrestling is, is a little bit different because in pro sports, you learn your craft. You learn how to play hockey. You learn how to play basketball, and, and you develop skills. And so it's some, it's some guys, it takes a little longer to develop those skills than others. And, but in pro wrestling, it's not only developing your in-ring ability, you're also developing character development, learning to tell a story in the ring, learning ring psychology. And that's why a lot of guys uh, don't hit their stride until, let's say, their mid-30s, even close to 40. Um, you could take a guy like Chris Jericho right now who's having a lot of fun in AEW doing what he's doing. But you know what I mean? Some are even ar could argue that he's doing some of the best work of his career right now, and he's 49 years old. It, for some reason in wrestling, it takes them longer to, uh, for lack of a better term, get it, get the business of pro wrestling as opposed to, like you could be 25 years old and have all the tools and, and, and fly around the ring and be able to do anything technically in the ring, but connecting the dots, putting it together, knowing when to do the crazy stuff that you can do and when not to do it and rein it back and what, knowing when less is more. 
that is the challenge. And, and, and that knowledge comes usually later on in someone's career and they don't get it. It's like, like you're saying, I would take her, you know, like probably later on in his career is like, man, I didn't have to dive over the top rope to get, you know, I could have done this instead, you know, that comes later on with, with learning the storytelling aspect and, and the psychology of pro wrestling. And if you were to choose, I guess, uh, another superstar, something similar, if you wanted to see another 10-part uh, documentary, like a last ride of someone else, who do you think would be the best option if they were to continue that? Oh, my goodness. Uh, lo- looking back, um, I mean, I think, you know what? There's, there's a lot about Shawn Michaels that um, – you know, he, he, he's gone through different stages in his life. He, you know, the, the, the early stages where he was a handful to deal with in the WWF at the time. And uh, th- those stories have been uh, uh, well documented. And, stuff. and then him kind of finding, taking, taking a break from pro wrestling and re- re- rediscovering himself as a person. And then coming back. And when he came back, everybody kind of, uh, are we going to get the same old Sean? that's a handful to deal with, or are we going to get a new Sean? And we ended up getting a, a, a different version of Sean Michaels, who was actually a pleasure to have in the locker room and be a leader and be a teacher and give back. You know, I, I'd, li- I'd like to see that story told from, from old Sean, the, the, I don't want to say troublemaker, but let's just say a handful to new Sean, who is now a teacher and teaching the next generation. If that makes sense. Yeah, I agree there. That'll be an interesting one. Uh, once again, for those just joining us on Vibe 105, this is Giancarlo Lino with a Sports Vibe Talk segment with Jimmy Corderas of Sportsnet. Uh, Jimmy, just to transition a bit, uh, talking about the WWE Network, uh, I actually uh, remember a time, like this probably, I don't want to make you feel old here, but about 10 years ago, <laughs> you and Arto Cal used to go down to Colossus and Vaughn. And uh, a few friends of mine, we always used to go to the pay-per-views and we'd see you guys there, very approachable guys. With the WWE Network, it's kind of been like eliminated a bit because not all the pay-per-views are being shown and uh, maybe the odd WrestleMania will be in theaters. Do you think like the network has changed a viewing experience or had a bad impact on it? I won't say bad. It's had a different impact on it because it's made it more convenient for people to watch from their homes, you know, uh, adding so much different content now, like, like we talked about the documentary specials, which have been really good. That's one thing I got You got to give props to the WWE for is their, their, uh, WWE 24 and their documentaries have been actually really good, but you can go back and look at old content. You can go back and look at old SmackDowns and, and old Raws and old pay-per-views and that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't want to say it's been bad on the internet. It's just changed it, you know, and sometimes for lack of a better term, it's nice to get out like the old days and go out and have those pay-per-view parties somewhere and where you get together, excuse me, where you get together with other fans and you get to, you know, enjoy it together. And, and even though you can't be at the venue where the pay-per-view is taking place, you still get to enjoy it with other wrestling fans. Um, not, that being said, I guess you can have pay-per-view parties at home. So, you know, you invite your buddies over and stuff like that. But still, it's only like, it, it's different. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's different. It's, uh, um, again, I, I wish things were were like the old days where you can, actually, 
you brought up, you know, like some fond memories. I used to like those days at Colossus. <laughs> and stuff now. Now, maybe, maybe it's something that can make a comeback. I mean, like right now they're thinking about bringing back the drive-in movies, right? Yeah. So, that, you know, hey, oh, what if you do drive-in pay-per-views? Be interesting. And then everybody, you know, something happens, big high spot, everybody honks their horns or something. <laughs> There's an idea right there. Everyone at Colossus, Cineplex Vaughn, Cineplex in general, there's there Jimmy Cordaris' idea. Let's run with it. <laughs> uh, but, like, even in terms of uh, wrestling now, um, like, NXT has been expanding more globally. And with the network, they've been able to go to the UK. They produce their own show over there. Uh, it kind of has had an effect, like a trickle-down effect on the indie scene. Like uh, there's so many independent wrestlers that are being scooped up and maybe before they're ready to really make that jump and kind of learning WWE style before they really come into their own and figure out their own style. Like schools right now in Toronto, we have uh, Superkicked, Anthony Corelli's Battle Arts Pro Wrestling. Uh, I got a chance to go down there last year and some great wrestlers. So do you think that this might be a situation where indie wrestling might become a thing of the past once all these companies start building their own feeder systems? Uh, I don't think so. I think there'll always be room for indie wrestling because, uh, you know, the gra it's a grassroots level. Everything has a grassroots level. So, And you need to uh, bring in new stars from somewhere. And I will say this, indie wrestling is a good place for guys to at least establish a base uh, of learning. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you mentioned going to NXT and learning the WWE style. Definitely WWE has a style. And one thing they could learn from, from a place like NXT is, and I'm, I'm speaking for them now, is kind of break guys of their bad habits in the ring. Like, you know, um, it, the only issue I have with indie wrestling is sometimes guys, like I said, form certain habits that, you know, on a bigger platform – on a bigger company, maybe wouldn't fly. But that's the art of this business is you learn. And, and what I talked about earlier, as you get older, as you mature, as you learn from others, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. And, and you can evolve your style, but you can adapt as well as you go. But as far as the indie scene, I don't see it going anywhere. I just, I would like to see it less spread out, if you know what I mean, like everybody trying to start their own promotions. I'd like to see... Uh, like you mentioned, Smash and Battle Arts and, and almost like the old territory days. You guys do here. We'll do here. Uh, we'll trade talent back and forth and we'll, we'll work together, so to speak. That'd be kind of cool, I think. Yeah. And uh, like some of the wrestlers that uh, come up there in the indie scene, how would you say, like, what advice would you give to like a wrestler, even a referee coming through the ranks down there? Like, if they want to be seen by WWE, what uh, kind of pathway should they steer towards during that process when they're developing? It, uh, again, it's, it, it's, a, it's a huge learning curve. I mean, like, um, at that level, at the indie level, you're, you're still trying to find, you know, feel your way. But you know what I'm trying to say. And for wrestlers, it's a little bit different. Referees, uh, again, what I would suggest is is go back and watch, especially the referees. Uh, watch the guys who do it right. And I, 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 again, not trying to toot my own horn, but you look at guys like Mike Kyoto and Charles Robinson, and um, from a referee standpoint, you know, referees are not there to they're there to be invisible and help the guys tell their story until you need to be visible. Uh, unfortunately, nowadays uh, I see a lot of referees who tend to be a little too visible. And a bit of a distraction, but that's just my own personal thing. As for as for in ring guys, as as for wrestlers, again, 
watch the greats. I, I watched an old match recently from WCW. Um, it was uh, from, I want to say 1992. It was Ricky Steamboat versus uh, Rick Rude. It was like an old school classic match, but watching it today, I, th this is fantastic. You know, like what almost, almost what, 30 years later? This is, and I'm like, this, a match like this could still work today without having to do all these uh, twisting, burning 450 hammer phoenix splashes. You know, uh, guys need to learn how to tell stories first and foremost. Uh, that, that's just a long way to get to that answer. <laughs> guys need to learn to tell stories in the ring. And sometimes less is more. You don't have to, you don't have to break your neck to tell that story. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, Jimmy, just to transition a bit to, I guess, the documentary side of wrestling. You were involved with uh, Dark Side of the Ring. You took part in the series finale, uh, season finale, sorry, with uh, that detailed Owen Hart's passing. Like, how did that whole process come about? Because uh, we see throughout the season, they had some guys come in and they were regulars like Jericho and Jim Ross. So how did they approach you? And did you have second thoughts a little bit about that because how close you were to the situation? Yeah, well, I, I don't know about second thoughts, but I had to think about it because, it, uh, for lack of a better term, it does open up old wounds, uh, being, like you said, being so close to the situation. And uh, I was contacted by Evan and Jason um, and asked if I would be willing to, to chat. And uh, they were very respectful. They were very cool. Uh, to, they're very good guys. They're, they are good guys, and they mean well. So after, after a little bit of back and forth, I felt comfortable talking about it with those guys because I knew they would... Uh, for lack of a better term, they weren't looking for clickbait or anything like that. They just wanted to tell the story. Yeah. So, so it, in that sense, I felt comfortable. It was a little uncomfortable, you know, going back and you start remembering things that you had forgotten or, or at least locked away, if you know what I mean. Uh, so, it, in the sense that it brought back a lot of tough memories, it was tough. But, uh, again, Jason and Evan were very, very cool with making me feel comfortable, though. As a series as a whole, like, uh, what do you think it has done to pro wrestling? Like, do you think it's changed the perception at all from a casual viewer? Because some of the stories they went after there, like uh, Dr. D, when what he did to the reporter, mm -hmm. like the brawl for all, what it did to some of those guys like Bart Gunn. Right. What do you think it does for the industry in terms of uh, casual viewers? Uh, I, that's interesting. Uh, it I, I wish I could speak for them. I wish I knew how they felt about it. Um, I know on one hand, you could say that it, it, it kind of probably will chase the casual viewers away and, and, and say, hey, you know what? I knew there was, like any other business, there's a side that's kind of not so good to pro wrestling, and uh, this just confirms it for me. Uh, but that, that's pretty much any industry. If you, if you delve deep enough into any sports or entertainment entity, there's probably some dirt you can dig up somewhere on somebody or anything like that. Um, I thought they did their best to make it uh, as factual as possible in most cases, and, and they did a good job. What I'd like to see going forward is uh, maybe they could start a different, you know, trying to, trying to look at a glass half full here. Maybe they could start doing a, a series called The Lighter Side of the Ring where we start seeing some feel good stories uh, come out of pro wrestling and, and, and shine a positive light as opposed uh, I know we live in a society today where everybody wants to, to get the dirt. Why not? Let's, uh, let's, let's focus on the positive. There's, a, there's enough negativity in the world. We should start at least try to look at the, the, the bright side of things. Yeah. And uh, also like throughout that episode that you were on, they had Martha Hart and her, her kids both on it. Like we never really hear their aspect of it, their side of the story. And I think this was a fair way to really get their side and help people understand more of their reasons for not allowing WWE to maybe celebrate his career, maybe give some sort of closure. I don't know if you could really get it a hundred percent, but 
another one that I really found uh, to be interesting was a opening episode about Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero. You got to see David Benoit's story and a lot of people get to hear like he had to go through a lot. He's kind of been the victim even more in all this and he's a sole survivor of that. So uh, what do you think this does for David Benoit? Like I know he wanted to get into pro wrestling. Does this maybe uh, still turn him away from some promoters from signing him? Oh, um, I, I hope not. But the, but then again, he, again, the unfortunate world we live in, he'll never be able to live down that stigma of being Chris's son. And, and that's going to stay with him forever. So that's, that's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a challenge for that young man. And I wish him nothing but the best. Um, I will say this about uh, uh, Oge and Athena, um, Martha and Owen's uh, kids. Uh, I'm glad to see that they have moved on to some respect. You never, you never come to grips with what happened, you know, the tragic loss of your father and a husband, but I'm glad to see that they are persevering and moving forward, uh, you know, in their lives and their careers, which is, which is a good, good sign. But I think, man, I hate to say it, but I think for, for Chris's son, for David, it's going to be a little bit tougher, Uh, but um, I I wish nothing but the best for him, but it's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, once again, for those just joining us on Vibe 105, this is John Carlo Lino with Jimmy Corderas of Sportsnet. Uh, Jimmy, just a couple final questions here. Uh, I got to ask uh, when they heard that you were coming on. A uh, few people wanted to know your opinion on this. Uh, you were in WWE during the Attitude Era, and after Mike Tyson showed up in WWE, WCW during the NBA Finals brought in Dennis Rodman and Carl Malone. Uh, mm-hmm. What was, uh, I guess, the feedback backstage when you heard Dennis Rodman, who is a big star on the Chicago Bulls, shows up on Nitro? Nah. There was like, it was almost like, oh my God, they got Rodman. But at the same time, everybody kind of knew like, yeah, but we got the baddest man on the planet. We could do a whole lot more. Dennis Rodman, very, you know, over the top flamboyant. And that they could have a lot of fun with him, especially pairing him with Hogan and stuff like that, the NWO stuff. But uh, I think they thought they could do a more serious angle with Mike Tyson. And I think they did. And obviously there was that, you know, like, oh, we're going to outdo these guys for sure kind of thing. So, you know, uh, I don't think there was a lot of, oh, no, they got Carl Malone and, and Dennis Rodman. I think it was more like, uh, I think we're better off with Mike Tyson. I think that was the feeling they had anyway. Yeah, and uh, final uh, fan question sent in here. Uh, Jimmy, if you can set up a match right now to headline either pay-per-view, WrestleMania, uh, what would be your ideal main event? Oh, my goodness. That's... Oh, see, there, there, there's so many talented wrestlers out there right now from, you know, whether you're looking at Japan, you're looking at AEW, you're looking at WWE, but see, whatever the Undertaker's last match is, see, I'm, I'm an Undertaker guy. I got to go there. <laughs> I got to do it. See, and, and as we discovered in the documentary, he, he needs to have the wrestling chapter of his life closed. He needs to go out and in, under his terms, if that makes sense, he has to feel good about his exit. And man, it's just that who's going to be that guy to stand across the ring for him to give him that 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 the proper send off that he needs. And sometimes I think it, you know, is it somebody from the past that they could bring back, or should it be someone from today, a current guy, to benefit from that last match against the Undertaker? And I know that they already had their match at WrestleMania, and when Roman Reigns feels comfortable coming back, maybe he's the guy. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, 
I wish I had a good answer for you. It, it's just <laughs> there's so many possibilities here, but uh, um, I, I think I think whatever the, the the last ride of the Undertaker, his last match, whatever that is, is I'd love I, I want to see it because I know he's going to do it right. Well, uh, I wish I had a better answer. I wish I had a better answer for you, like a definitive this guy versus that guy. But it's it, just good. so many possibilities. <laughs> yeah, Undertaker's last match. I think uh, a lot of fans would agree that'd be something that they'd want to see. Much like Ric Flair, even though it's not the, it doesn't have to be like a ten star, or so whatever some people want to call it. But it doesn't have to be that all time yeah. classic. But if it's something positive, it does something. And storytelling wise, yeah. I think yeah, that's a great uh, choice here, Jimmy. But, uh, but before, well, really quickly, really yeah. quick, because you brought it up that. Ric Flair's last match with Shawn Michaels. Everybody remembers that classic moment at the end of the match. They zoomed in on Shawn Michaels' face. He looked at Ric Flair. He knew he was on his last legs before he delivered the super kick. What did you see Shawn Michaels say? I'm sorry. sorry. I love you. And then he kicked his head off, covered him for the pin because he knew that was it. That's emotion. That's storytelling. That's what people get invested in. You know what I mean? So uh, I could see a moment like that happening with The Undertaker. Uh, well, on that note, Jimmy, uh, before we wrap up here, how can our listeners follow you on social media and uh, how can they see you on Aftermath on uh, Sportsnet? Oh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Corderas, on Instagram at Real Jimmy Corderas, because I, I guess somebody took the Jimmy Corderas one, so I had to put real in front of it. But anyway, um, so I'm there daily. I do my daily rough and rants, which I try to have a little fun with and just, again, spark some, some discussion. And, and as far as our Sportsnet Aftermath show, um, we are live on Fridays on the Sportsnet YouTube and Facebook pages uh, at noon on Fridays. Myself, Caroline Schved, Nug Nargang, and the former Santino Morella, Anthony Corelli. And during the week, we have little videos put up as well where we do our wins and fails and uh, little chats about whatever's topical at the time. And again, those can be found on the Sportsnet YouTube channel and uh, Facebook channel. Well, Jimmy, I'd like to thank you for sharing your time and coming on Vibe 105 to talk wrestling with me. And I wish you all the best. Stay safe and uh, stay well. Thank you, my friend. And uh, you guys, too. Stay safe and stay well. And thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. And now back to your Vibe, Vibe 105.